You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Monday, October the 23rd. Bright, cool morning here in TW11. Kipco British Champions Day has come and it's gone, but it's not one that we'll forget in a hurry. The two things we talked about in the lead-up to the event were the weather and Frankie Dottori. The former played its part for sure. The latter, well, you kind of knew what was going to happen, but even if you thought he might hog the limelight, you couldn't have imagined either the execution of the victory over Ryan Moore in the opening race or the last gasp success of King of Steel in the Kipco Champion Stakes itself. Lydia Hislop was there to enjoy it with me and 30,000 others. And Lydia, before we pick apart Kipco British Champions Day, let's get the broad brush out and describe what it was like to be there. I thought the atmosphere was tremendous. I think the the fact that Frankie Dottori signed off from Britain uh, with a double and more particularly a win on his final ride was just extraordinary. It was the kind of story that he's been producing all season long, and it just it, it seems silly to to have imagined beforehand that it, somehow that it might have been any difference. And I think it was um, a really powerful sign. Um, after the champion stakes, the I, I know some people might not like it very much, but the, basically the the footballing chance of oh Frankie de Tori afterwards from the entire grandstand and going into the winners enclosure was just something extraordinary that I have never seen or heard before, and that was an electric moment and a moment for the ages really. And I think what the great thing about it was was that the rides uh, we're going to talk about the, the nitty-gritty of, of Tourlewin in a moment but if if we if we take a step back the rides were were guileful both of them both winning rides from King of Steel who wasn't really going and the opening race the long distance cup which was a bit of a mess of a race in in tactical terms and very interesting to unpick so that was my overriding impression I thought it was a very successful day largely again I'm sure we're go on to talk about the ground and the switch to the inner track, which was not without its controversy. And I, I understand the conversation about that. But all in all, I think it was another compelling, successful, rousing British Champions Day. Do you think there's anything in the suggestion that because it ended on such a resounding high for Frankie Dutori, it actually lessens the likelihood of him trying to angle for some kind of full-time return to the UK when he's done and dusted with America? I, I mean, the the problem is that when you go out on such a high like that, if you then sort of tempt fate, the the only way is down, isn't it? Really, um, at, at best you can match it, and that would seem to be an extraordinary set of events. Mm. Bearing in mind that there's two athletes involved, not just you, but the horse as well. Um, in many ways, he is he is playing with with fate and pay, playing with his sign off by uh, carrying on in America into 2024 so also I think it probably depends on events so uh do I think it is it is less likely perhaps Mm. perhaps um I think in reality if he was off if things went go well in the early part of 2024 out in America if he was offered prime rides in Royal Ascot I think it'd be very difficult for him if he's if he's rolling at that point to say no I think what would surprise me would be that if he came back and based himself here as a full-time yes. I think he I think he feels that chapter is now closed. 
yeah, I, I, I can see that too. Um, I think it would be remarkable. If, if that were the case, it would be the scenario where he just can't get enough. Do you know what I mean? Where, yeah. you know, we do see it with sports people who um, make the, a very sensible decision to retire and they know that their head is telling them the right thing and then they find that the pull, the lure of the everyday sport is just too much. Um, I don't expect that to happen, but I can't completely dismiss the idea that it could. Shall we talk about King of Steel, the horse himself? Mm -hmm. And for all, it wasn't a, a barnstormingly impressive success in the Champion Stakes. What the significance of it might be for for his twenty twenty four and what he might bring to bring to bring to next year and indeed to the rest of this, possibly. He's so exciting, isn't he? Because if you look at him, and I, you, you were remarking on Racing TV when we were broadcasting on Saturday, how he towers over the rest of a proper Group 1 field. He's huge, and he's the kind of size and shape that would make you think, well, he can't handle Epson, second in the derby. <laughs> Surely he, 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 the inner course at Ascot is going to be pretty difficult for him. Well, it was, uh, but he still managed to win. Um, so then, you know, he's going off to Santa Anita potentially. Oh, well, surely that's going to be too tight. Well, I don't know. Never say never. He's a, a hugely talented horse as well as a huge horse. And I don't know whether that whether the normal logic would apply that you'd think, you know, given his frame, he'd be even better as a four-year-old. I see no reason why there wouldn't be. But given he's operating at such a high level anyway as a three-year-old, then that would be a very exciting prospect. I mean, this form, probably marginally his best performance, even though he, to some degree, maybe because of the ground, probably more likely because of the track, he sort of won slightly ugly. Um but it was a, a superb performance to follow up his his very good fourth in the Irish champion and his second in the derby. Uh, I, I was talking to Frankie Dory quite a bit about him later that day, and he, he was saying that he's, from from his experience of riding him at home a couple of times, and, and the other day he said he's a really genuine horse. He's got a very big heart, but he's quite a he's quite a, a timid horse. He's not really an alpha. He he needs a bit of reassurance, hence the stores. <laughs> he was just like having to just give him a little pat just to say, come on, everything will be okay. And, He's, but he says when he when you ask him, he really he really delivers for you. That's that's really really interesting, which suggests that mentally there might well be quite a bit of improvement in him now that he has won at this level and in that manner. It might be that it it goes on to to be more of a of a habit, more of something that's 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 ingrained in the horse. Who knows? I mean, it's a nebulous thing, particularly with um, equines, the the notion of of confidence. But you know, it's. It, it, they are athletes as well, and there is a psychological element. And and how would you bet Mostadaf if he goes to the Breeders' Cup turf now, high-profile non-runner on Saturday, and King of Steel and August Roda, and there's a pretty good American horse in there as well. So it'd be a good race. It'd be a fantastic race. August Roda has obviously got that victory over uh, King of Steel in the in the Irish Champion Stakes, albeit um, the race was probably. He was probably better positioned in the race uh, of the two. Um, but Mustadaf really, I think, has all conditions to suit. And I know that the connections agonise a little about whether or not to run on Saturday before. Well, you walked the court. Did you end up actually walking the course with John? I, and, and, and I, I walked the entire course with John Gosden, yes. Yeah, and Angus Gold. This has really paid off because John was on your programme yesterday as well, wasn't, wasn't he? Um, that double was looking seriously unlikely, wasn't it, when we spoke on Friday? I didn't think I'd get one leg of it up, let alone both. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. My pocket's looking very, looking much poorer as a, as a result of that double coming up, I can tell you. Exactly. So it was all a very bizarre uh, turn of events. But I think when, when the course walk had finished, it was clear to me, 
um, from the noises that John Gosden and Angus Gold were making, that they were going to recommend that Mostadaf runs because when he was putting his stick in, John Gosden was saying, well, it's pretty much good ground. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't and think... They they- were- <laughs> yeah, and they, I don't think they could get a hold of Shaker Hissa for a while. And then I think what it was is that when the jockeys had ridden in that first race, they were saying it was loose and horrible and wet and this and that and the other. And albeit clearly it must have had a pretty pretty decent substructure because they were running in good times. It was obviously, un, un, they obviously felt it unpleasant to ride on a lot of the jockeys. And I guess yeah. you've got a horse who wants a kind of sound surface and you've got a target two weeks away, then that makes your decision for you. Yes, I mean, I, that, I think that's exactly how it planned, panned out. Uh, after the, the first race, I spoke to Angus Gold for Racing TV and he was saying that jockeys whose feedback he trusts were coming back and saying it's horrible out there. And I agree with you. I think, I mean, just looking at it visually, it did look like it's loose on top, but the times were telling you that it was at worst good to soft on the inner round course on the day, probably soft, just on the on the heavy side of soft, but soft predominantly on, on the straight course. Um, so yeah, I, I, whilst you can make um you can make a, a, a sort of technical, uh, theoretical reason as to why Mosterduff potentially should have run given the times, I can see that maybe all things might align more at Santa Anita than they would have done on Saturday. Lydia, in the champion stakes, Via Sistina ran a remarkable race, the, the, the five grand mare, but her owner, Steve Hillen, wasn't very pleased with Sheen Murphy's ride, said he'd hit the front too soon, uh, much as uh, the previous rider had done in the previous race and felt that um, she probably ought to have won at least three group ones this season. What do you make of that? Um, well, I've, I've got to stick to what I said before the race. When I was doing pre-parade ring for Racing TV, I said that this was a Philly mare, sorry, who probably needed to be delivered as late as possible because she has a tendency to hang right. So therefore, viewed through that prism, then you can say that perhaps she hit the front too soon. She Murphy also dropped his whip and uh, Via Sistina shifted to the right when King of Steel um, came past her, um, or as King, King of Steel came to challenge her. However, the way the race panned out, I'm not sure that Asheen Murphy was left with a lot of options. And we're talking about King of Steel, a horse that... Um, wasn't that took cajoling into the race, took, took convincing by by Frankie de Tori. and it, I, I don't I don't know I, I'm not sure that the result in short I'm not sure that the result would have been that different. I think Ashim Murphy, given the way that the race developed, given that horses on his inside just dropped away as he was beginning to conjure her effort, I think he was left with no option but to go on at that point. And uh, I don't think she was stopping, although she was edging right. It wasn't as as bad as it had been in previous times, and I think. It also all beyond belongs in, in, in the wider context of a filly who is not the most straightforward to win with because it's, she's now hung right, well, hung right particularly on her previous two starts and edged a little bit right here. I, I think they, they should just be very, very proud of the Via Sistina. She, ha, she is a top-class Group 1 horse who is very capable of uh, winning at this level, granted the right circumstances, but unfortunately she ran into a very talented and improving three-year-old in King of Steel who was ridden by somebody who, who was determined to sign off on a high. And those kind of things have happened all season. And in many ways, Via Sistina was a victim of that again. So a huge result for King of Steel on Saturday, for all concerned, including those who were responsible for buying the horse. But given that he is so big, unusually big for a flat horse, and perhaps bigger than most steeplechasers, what would make you sign the ticket at $200,000? The man who did, Alex Elliott, has been explaining a bit more. 
it's quite a funny backstory, Nick. So as you can imagine, Keeneland, you've got two and a half thousand horses to go through in two weeks. Uh, and obviously you're working it in teams. I work it closely with Ben McElroy and Spotters. And um, you work a certain patch, then you come at the end of the day and you cross lists and so on. And uh, he was in book two. He was up on the hill at Gainesway and just near the, just near the, the main track at, uh, at Keeneland. And he hadn't he hadn't been left on a list, which you couldn't understand. Most spotters would just go, that horse is too big. So I was down at the ring, and one of my best pals, um, one of the best uh, pinhookers in the business, Mick Fitzpatrick of Kilmanford Stud, Kilmanford House, he uh, he said to me, "Have you seen that wooden bastard up at Gainesway?" And I said, "No." And he said, "You got to come see him." He said, he's, "He's too big for me to breeze." But we went to see him, and out he came, and I was like, "Poof." <laughs> it's a big horse anyway I rang Kia who I'd flown to Keenan with I said Kia you're going to have to bear with me here you've got to come and see this horse or everyone's going to tell you it's too big and the whole team went up and ah he's too big and this and that and thankfully you know the way the horse moved he just he's so light on his feet Kia said let's see what he makes and fair play to Kia we went in and he bid the reserve and, and, and we took him home uh, am I right in thinking he was rather unkindly nicknamed the police horse by one or two of your colleagues, some unkind observers? <laughs> I won't name who I, I won't name who named him. They're very, very good judges, but uh, thankfully, for our sake, for Kia's sake, for everybody's sake that's been involved with him, um, they were wrong, which is great. Why did Saturday mean so much to you? Kia basically via Michael Bell was the first person to give me a chance to buy good horses you know there's a lot of people in this business that could buy good horses and they just don't really get the chance to do it so when Michael Bell introduced me to Kia we sort of it was Kia had had horses for years previously but we decided he, he decided with his family Alex, Max and Olivia and Tatiana to give it a real kick and I was kind of the first person to buy the horses um, so that was maybe five or six years ago uh, I haven't bought as, me- as much from in recent years. Um, but, you know, Kia, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget how good Kia was to me. And for us to come up with that horse together on that day was just... It, and, you know, to have my, my family were there, and it was just... It's kind of an out-of-body experience. You know, I really fant- I thought the horse would go and win pre- pre-race. And then I spoke to Roger in the box beforehand, and Roger said, listen, we're drawn one. We need to kind of sit close, nothing's coming from off it. So when he broke a step slow and was sat last and he's stumbling going into Swinley Bottom, I was just, I looked, I just, well, that, that, that's another chance down the tubes. And then slowly as Frankie started to pull him out, I was thinking this is a bit more like Royal Ascot when he won the King Edward. And then two down, I started, I started half believing and then obviously he, he caught Via Sistina who, ran a, who, who, who also ran an incredible race. Now, Alex, obviously, this is an amazing family result as well. Not just for you, your your parents-in-law, Colin and Melba Bryce, bred the sire of the winner, Wooten Bassett, which in itself is a a career-defining achievement. But they also bred the runner-up, Via Sistina. Uh, who was your wife Gina cheering for? I think she was cheering King of Steel a little bit more. You know, <laughs> that was a very important result for me because they have a very small family-run start. 10 mares at most and obviously they've come up with Wooden Bassett and Via Sistina isn't such a good story I advise that they sell her in the December sales she was a full show at Cornwall 
and she was colossal. I think uh, I think I've I christened her some pretty rude names. And uh, Stephen Hill and one of the sharpest minds in the business picked her up for five thousand. I also told them to sell the uh, the mare who hadn't. Pro- I think she produced a herder at that stage. So the package went through with the guts of forty thousand, and I think both the mayor, I think both the mayor and Christina are going to turn back up at the scepter sessions this year. So for everything you get right, there's a lot goes wrong. Mm. I'm frankly I'm quite surprised he gave you his blessing after that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not one to to rest on your laurels anyway. So uh, off you go today to the horses in training sale at Tassels, or were you there already, with a consignment. So you, you'll have orders to fill, but you're also consigning horses. Just tell me about the new venture. Yeah, um, first time we've done it. Um, the main part of my business is buying young, untried stock, foals, yearlings. Um, and we're, we're lucky enough, we bought the guts of 85 yearlings this year. And... Two years ago, when I first started buying for a, uh, a few select clients, our program uh, was to sell these horses at the end of their three-year-old career, unless you hit, hit on a king of steel, which is obviously very, very rare. So this is the end of our first first round, basically, and we've got some we've got some really, really exciting three-year-old prospects and a couple of two-year-olds that I think are going to be. Um, I think are going to be very attractive to to foreign buyers. We've got Balance Play, who's a 101 rated son of Lope de Vega, won his last start at Newbury, trained by expertly by Rafe Beckett. He's a Mayfoil. We brought him along slowly. But it's just what what you do with this horse. Do you run him in the Navenda Handicap or the St. Simon for 30 grand? And, or do you, do you capitalise now? He's a, he's a 101 rated staying gelding. And do, do we sell him to Australia? So we've got a, f- a few horses in there that... We're going to bring under our umbrella, have them all in one place. We, we've managed these horses all along, and we just think it's a, a good a good chance. We know the market, we know the horses, we know the buyers. This is our chance to uh, th- this is our chance to close out the, the full round from buying and managing to now selling. Agent Alex Elliott, there, very much at the centre of things at the moment. But we all know that it was one man who was taking centre stage on Saturday. He set the tone. For the rest of the afternoon with an extraordinary effort on Trawler Man in a, a slightly bizarre opening race. It was a, a terrific finish. Kiprios and Ryan Moore finished second. Uh, Lydia is back with me. I, I wonder if you shared my sentiment that Kiprios rather curled up under Ryan Moore and allowed Frankie a second bite of the cherry. Either way, it was a, a thrilling spectacle for the crowd. Well, I, I mean, it was an odd race straight away, wasn't it? Because uh, you had Maxident going out under a, a jockey who'd never been Ascot before and setting uh, a, a pace that for that horse was, was unsustainable. And Frankie Dettori had a had a, a decision to make and he uh, kept tabs on that horse, put Trawler Man in position A. He allowed Kiprios to come past him entering the straight and then realised that Kiprios wasn't going away in the way perhaps uh, everybody might have, have expected. And he was able to conjure Trawler Man past to win. Even Frankie Dettori couldn't get near Big Rock in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes. Is Big Rock for real or was that performance for real? We know he's for real because he's got a, a good CV, but was that performance reflective of his superiority over all the others? In those circumstances, at that track and on that ground, definitely yes. And probably... Um, with the ground not even being that soft, it might well have been. Uh, it was a, a brutal, power-packed performance, you know, uh, hitting the lids, 
heading out in front, going clear. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not making this comparison. I, I underline in red with with Frankel in terms of of what he achieved, but the visual element of it, you know, like the 2000 guineas, even a bit like the Queen Anne from, from Frankel, visually, it had that kind of devastating power about it to the point where horses behind just weren't going. And now Paddington, who was returning from a break, we hadn't seen him since he was beaten in the international. He was just too keen. Aidan O'Brien pointed to it afterwards. He was absolutely right. The horse was just over racing the whole time. Um, Nashua never really seemed to be going. Lots of the uh, other horses had quite a bit to find with the with the front four. Tahira was the one that your eye was drawn to as potentially being the main threat, and she moved into things quite nicely. But there was a massive gap for her to bridge between the chasing field and the leader, Big Rock. And, you know, in, in trying to bridge that gap, she actually lost second to Factor Cheval. I thought she ran really well, emerged with great credit, but that was a powerful, awesome display from Big Rock, and not one that was completely unlikely. I mean, looking at his form, you know, his second to to ace impact his seconds in races that and at tracks that probably don't bring out the absolute best in him in the way that Ascot Straight Mile clearly did. You know, they were strong seconds, weren't they, behind Inspiral, Injajak Lamawa and Saturn in the Mulan. Um, and it's very exciting to hear that he'll be staying in training next season, or that seemed to be the the inclination at the, at the end of the day. And yeah, I think he was for real in those circumstances. Yes. Do you? And the... The French are definitely back, aren't they? It was a one-two for France with Factor Cheval running on to pick up the pieces. They, they're definitely in the game at the top level this season. Yeah, which is great to see. I mean, there have been signs, to be fair. There were signs last season, small signs last season. This season has been something else entirely. And uh, it's great to see because uh, for, for, the, for European racing, you want all the major powerhouse nations to be performing to their tech potential otherwise we're all the weaker for it the the, the game is less interesting you know the international competition is, is such a, a fundamental facet to it so yeah they are and it's great to see but the scores on the doors at the end of champions day were france one newmarket two yorkshire three <laughs> that was pretty great to see as well that was that was that was extraordinary uh, now art power has a couple of times looked unlucky in the British champion sprint. There's been a couple of occasions in the way that the race panned out. He looked like he was drawn in the wrong position. And I, I had, until Saturday, had always thought also that um, Ascot's mile uh, tested him a little bit, that it was a little bit too stiff for him. Um, but this time around, it was his... Uh, ready way of travelling, which kind of caught Kinross out because Kinross was a bit behind the bridle, you know, did take a bit of time to get going, you know, laid down his challenge in time. But, you know, our, our power had been doing things so much more easily for David Allen and Tim Easterby. Um, and although, you know, he was he was 40 to 1, but uh, lots of people were talking afterwards, citing afterwards the, the his previous good runs uh, in that race in the past. So that wasn't a, uh, a win completely out of left field. And we should mention that Carl Burke, who trained Poptronic, who won the Phillies and Mare Stakes, also had the third and fourth in um, Spycatcher and Swingalong in that in that sprint uh, race. So, I mean, a, a really strong performance there. And Poptronic, well, that, I think that, that had a lot to do with the, the track that they were racing on. Both the tightness, given her... Uh, front-running um, way of going. And, I mean, she'd never tried ground softer than good. Um, and I think it 
it, she was clearly able to handle good to soft and she was able to to boss that race beating horses in blue stocking and jackie o who came from further back who both shaped very well indeed and um things might might have been different on the outer track in that particular race but i'm, I'm not taking anything away from Poptronic because she's such an admirable mare. She'd put up a career best performance earlier in the season in the Lancashire Oaks. Um, she'd been trying Group 1 and it had looked as though it might be beyond her. But here, with all the cards falling in her favour, she had to step up and that's what she did. And now you mentioned the, the use of the inner track and the horses that it might have favoured. You sense that not every trainer was delighted Alan King, I think, would have been one of them that wasn't thrilled about the move from the outer track to the inner track with, with Trushan. William Haggis, in the interview with you, I I felt that he he stopped short of cri criticising the, the track for switching, but felt less than happy about it. Yeah, and I can see the point. First of all, let's start by saying, you know, Ascot has a process. It's a well-publicised and agreed process, and there is a degree of independent scrutiny about it. So the rule is that if there is he heavy anywhere in the going conditions, descriptions on the round course, that the race will be switched to the inside track. And uh, they have um, a, a panel that double checks uh, Chris Sickles, the clerk of the courses, their, his his description of the ground. And you and I were waiting for their verdict, weren't we, on, on Friday when we were talking about the meeting. Um, there's a stewards panel chair, an independent uh, clerk of the course and uh, the BHA senior inspector of courses, and they verify Christical's going description. So there is a process, and Ascot will point to that process, which is well publicised. Everyone knew about it, and they stuck to it. But then there is the sort of the practicalities of it. Uh, we're talking all week about how testing the ground is going to be, and so and so many assumptions both uh, amongst participants but also amongst the betting public and the watching public and the race going public was on that they were going to get testing ground on that inner track and whilst the I mean, we talked again about it, about it on the podcast last Friday the warning of 2019 was there that the inner track then was only good to soft and so you know there was a, a sort of wah wah about it don't you know don't make that assumption going into it it is a sort of screeching recalibration to have to make on the on on that day if you're not already thinking well this you know I may, we're not really talking about testing ground on the round course anymore are we if you're not already thinking that when you suddenly have the first race and the first race times and people are talking about well is it good or is it good to soft and then on course they actually change the going to a softened description of soft presumably based on, on jockey feedback then it becomes very confusing and I think it becomes very, very difficult for A, participants to decide what to do and B, you know, betting and racing customers to understand what's going on. So um, I do think there is a, a, a conversation to be had there. Do you just accept that at this time of year you're going to have heavy ground? If it's heavy ground, it's heavy ground. The problem, of course, is if that tips over to the potential for uh, abandonment and there'll be people who say, Champions Day just it, it can't be called that if it's run on heavy ground. I I don't I don't go with that. I'm afraid um, there's nowhere else at the moment as the uh, European uh, calendar stands for Champions Day to to find a home. In, in my opinion, um, and 
and champions find a way. We saw that with Frankel twice on British Champions Day. And, you know, champions aren't always just the horses that you see on very fast ground. Yes, that's magnificent. But there are other champions who who triumph in other distant uh, uh, conditions. And there are some champions who can triumph regardless. A couple of points to note here. Um, Poptronic is a, a filly who had won only on good or good to firm ground um, prior to prior to um saturday and yeah, trawler man you never, never even tried good to sell no and trawler man who uh, has had won six races going into saturday five of those were on good to firm and one was on the poly track so there you go so that, that might tell you something uh, the only point i would i would use to counter that is only the second time they've switched the inner track there has been soft ground between times on champions day in the interim when they haven't gone to the inner track uh, we had quite an extreme week we had the possibility of 50 mils of rain I mean, I think in this instance, they did the right thing to move. But it's it, it's a question of where you draw that line, whether you say yeah. if it's heavy in the going description the previous day and you've got more rain forecast, then, you know, I, I think they did the right thing on balance. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying they did the wrong thing. Um, I suppose what I'm saying is I think it should be better communicated the likely difference between the inner and the outer track. I mean, we've got, in terms of the round course at Ascot, uh, a course that generally favours horses that race more towards the fore. This is the round course, obviously. Um, you know, on the inner course, that I think is accentuated. It's also a tighter track. Holly Doyle was talking about her her experience of that. She hadn't ridden on it before, and she was saying about Trushan, who's obviously such a, a big horse, whether that might have had an impact on on his performance. So, I think it it's pr- probably the lesson that needs to be learned is that we're talking about moving from a track that's been watered and used all season to a track that hasn't been. And so uh, we all need to be better prepared and better communicating what is likely to happen in uh, if, if the track is, is switched. Because as I say, it, I think people were expecting testing ground and they didn't get that. And there was a, a and it, that wasn't unpredictable. And so therefore it could have been communicated better. Given it was a pretty rank day weather-wise really in the round um the crowd was very good 30 odd thousand it was seven thousand odd more than last year was that just frankie de Torre who put them on the crowd or was it something else has has british champions day got something right in the intervening period from a marketing standpoint uh it's it, I, I mean I, I imagine there's a lot of frankie de Torre in that uh, your last chance to see Frankie de Torre in Britain. I mean, certainly when you bought the tickets, you would have been thinking that, that that was the case. And it may yet prove to be the case. So I, I think that would have had a, a powerful impact. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Champions Day. And I would be um, supportive of anything that they do to make it more and more of a, of a destination uh, race meeting, not just for devotees of, of horse racing, but also for, for the wider public. Um I don't know. I'd, I'd like. I'd, I'd like to. I mean, I assume they're going to do some market research. I mean, I often assume these things about horse racing, and it doesn't actually happen. But um, I assume they'll do some some research and ask the people, you know, why it was that they came, particularly if they're first timers, and why they came back if they've been if they've been before. Uh, but yeah, I reckon there must be a Frankie factor. But the, but certainly, I wouldn't be suggesting that uh, Champions Day has has done anything wrong. I think it is beginning to to build and and get its niche or not beginning it's got its niche and i think it it can yet do do even better flourish more now um if we think the sport's got a bit of marketing momentum behind it 
the announcement of a, a new docuseries to be aired on ITV1 about horse racing is an extremely timely one. Have you seen this, Lydia? It's just just been released. British Racing's Drive to Survive, ITV1 to air jump racing docuseries in prime time slot next year. And this is a, a venture that, that brings together uh, Racecourse Media Group, uh, backing from the major betting conglomerate Flutter, the parent company of Paddy Power and Skybet, amongst others. And ITV is is going to carry this, which is going to be produced by an independent production company called South Shore. Uh, Simon Dalgleish, the man, deputy managing director for, for ITV, says racing drives an enormous amount of passion and excitement. As we know from our coverage, this new series is a fantastic chance to build on that excitement. We're delighted to be working with the Racing Community Showcase in a way that has never been before. But clearly the the engine of this, if you like, has been has been um created from from within the sport yeah i think that's i think it's a it's a good idea and i think it can very much work um i think the the passion uh and and the the breadth of stories that can be generated by jump racing in particular uh you know the um for want of a, of a better phrase you know more ordinary people <laughs> uh you know who are uh involved uh with with jump racing in terms of you know the amount of money that they have to spend essentially is what is what is what i'm saying um that you know it's it's not it's not such such a a different level in the way that flat racing or the dominant racing in flat racing can be i'm not saying that money isn't involved because clearly it is but you know what i mean i think i think there's 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 more of a feeling of um uh, reachableness, accessibility, uh, and 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 the passion of jump racing as as well. I think I think is is important. There obviously are some risks because you know jump racing has a higher fatality rate than flat racing. But I think that this is the kind of thing that racing needs to grasp because it's it's impossible uh, if you're working with equines to say that uh, that you can wipe out um, fatalities or fatal injuries or serious injuries you know that's that's just an impossible goal obviously you can strive to do everything you can by little incremental means or large leaps to get as close to that as possible um, but you know the a, a completely zero is is not is not achievable so I think there is a an educative um, explanatory um, uh, work to be done that can be achieved via this vehicle to show what British racing does in terms of how it looks after its horses, how it cares for its horses, and the 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 things that British racing does to try and minimise those risks and the care, the love, the consideration, the thought that are given to these athletes, the horses. I think. To, to show how they are they are trained and and that they are prime athletes you know not pets I think that would also be really useful so done well I think this can be very good and I think it needs to dare to go uh, to places that are yeah. difficult and not just take the easy happy fluffy stories yes I would co concur particularly given the the time slot if it's going out at nine o'clock p.m then I think it it must have a fair degree of grit within it um and and tell the highs and and the lows and as you say jump racing is is really the perfect the perfect format the perfect form for this there have been lots of attempts to get series like this off the ground and indeed i, I believe there is a uh a series in production in in the u.s at the moment uh, some uh, a netflix production which is being made by box to box people who made drive to survive if you're going to make something fly on on network television in 
in the UK and it not being a not being something that's being being put on a streaming service, then you probably have to have something a little bit more local where the stories are a little bit more accessible. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that's another reason why jump racing is 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 the one is the one to go with, I think. Um, and it just drives a lot of affection. And these are horses that those people who are fans of the sport. You know, know really well, and I think that should come across as well. The fact that uh, that the affection that is generated amongst people who just go and watch them, or even just watch them on TV, but for these horses, I think that would be something good to capture as well. And again, also the the reality of preparing horses for races and all the work that goes in behind the scenes to that, and all the people, you know, you know, everybody who's involved from the the sport to the most senior person person in the yard to the most junior person in the yard I think that would be good to get across too well, no sooner had Asheen Murphy dusted himself down from the defeat of Via Sestina in the Champion Stakes than he was winning a Group 1 in France yesterday, Sunday, uh, at Saint-Cloud. There were two races run at the highest level. One of them was the Criteria Internationale, which is a, a two-year-old Colson Phillies race over a mile, and it was won by Sunway, trained in England by David Menuisier, who for good measure also trained Keys Chorister to win a Group 3 on the same card. I think, David, that counts as a good day. Just how good in the context of your career by look it's uh, technically it's the best uh, by my, my best days racing ever I would say you know uh, I mean look we've had some great days before but to have two runners two winners a group one and a group three uh, you know that sort of things doesn't happen to mortals like me really normally so yeah it's pretty uh, pretty incredible you know I mean when you when you drive to the races thinking that you'll have a decent shot with both of them and uh, everything uh, goes according to plan you know very smoothly throughout uh, it's extremely rare so yeah we've had a good celebration I would say yeah. <laughs> and there is so much about Sunway that he's French. He was he was foaled in France. He's trained by you. He's owned by a, a man who's put an awful lot into the sport in France, and indeed has has stood the sire and the and the dam sire. Um, I, I, don't, I don't mean this in any kind of rude way, but how has he trained in England? Hey, look, uh, I bumped into uh, Monsieur Payant last uh, August in Deauville uh, last year. Completely by chance, actually, and uh, we had a chat and a bit of banter, and he said, oh, look, I'd like to, to send some horses to England, and uh, I gave him my business card, the next day he rang me, and he said, I'm going to send you four or five, and uh, they arrived in, in December, and uh, the rest is history, really, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, one of those things, you know, we had good vibes, and uh, we were on the same wavelength. And uh, it's worked out beautifully. I mean, it was actually his first Group 1 winner yesterday um, under his silks because, I mean, he owned uh, shares in in Silly Way uh, and other good horses. But he, he, uh, Sunway is, the, is, is his first winner under his, uh, his colour, so he was uh, pretty emotional, to say the least. <laughs> what do you think the future holds for this horse? Because he's clearly a, a strong stayer, but not short of class either. It looks Sunway is an exceptional horse. Uh, he's always been since December. He's been extraordinary. 
the most never never has a blow is um is just a natural a natural uh, athlete uh, i mean he works with my best horses at home and he does everything very easily um ocean came down in may i think to write something else in the yard actually and uh, and this horse was just doing a counter so i jerked him up and uh, after his counter he came back and he wasn't saying much you know and he didn't he didn't really didn't really say much so i said i was a bit worried and i said to him uh, how did you go and, and he said look i don't want to over excite you but this is the best you all have ridden all year and i said how many how many have you ridden so far two or three and he said about 250 and that's when we started thinking we had a, we had a special horse and um so yeah so he's always showed uh, an awful lot of talent i think he will stay really well i mean even yesterday uh ocean couldn't pull him up he was never going to get beat you know once he took the lead in the last 50 meters and and he pulled up uh, quite quite uh, quite a long way back you know so I, i'm pretty sure the horse will stay a mile two possibly a mile four so we have to yeah, look, we will have to consider um, any any option for him next year, you know, uh, uh, along those trips between one mile and one mile four. Okay, so yeah. it, it, given that given that he is French bred and he gets extra money every time he wins in, in France, do you see him doing more of that than, than running in England? I think we will we, consider all races, you know. Um, at that level, you, you, you have to consider all races, but I mean... Um, there is a chance he comes back to France, but you know we we will contemplate going to Ireland as well and staying in the UK. I think we will genuinely consider all options. And there's still good two-year-old races to be won this season. You've got both him and Devil's Point in the futurity. I'm guessing Sunway's not going to run again, but could Devil's Point run in that? Devil's Point is being confirmed for the futurity. The form of the Thomas Brion is really good because that's the form of Icantor, Havana Gray and Saganti yesterday. So the form is very, very, very good. Um, so I'm confirming the horse. I'm hoping for softish ground. And um, in my opinion, he'll, he'll run a blinder. Well, if you, in case you were wondering on, on Saturday, where was Jamie Spencer to ride via Sestina? The answer is he was down under. He was in Australia. He was finishing a very creditable second in the Caulfield Cup, one of the marquee races down under, uh, on a very talented horse um, called West Wind Blows, uh, who was beaten ahead by without a fight. What was the significance of that beyond uh, Jamie Spencer finishing second for Simon and Ed Crisford? Well, the winner had been trained by the Crisfords last season. If you remember, they took the winner down there to run in the Melbourne Cup. So a bittersweet result, Ed Crisford, I guess. The layers of our irony are, are um, multifarious here, aren't they? No, absolutely. Um, you know, it was pleasing to see Western Blows run so well and, you know, to get beaten by without a fight. I mean, it's great for without a fight and shake a bait, but... You know, and it's just good to know we were bringing the right horses down to Australia. Um, but no, it was a great race, good battle. I thought we may have just hung on, but without a fight, just just out battled him. But um, no, two good horses. I mean, you know the horses so well. They're both by the same sire. When you kind of saw how the race was unfolding, what was going through your head? Well, well, he, we Western Blows jumped 
pretty slowly, which I was a little bit worried about because from that gate, if, if they come round you and you get shuffled quite far back, it can be tough to get into it. But actually, it was a, quite a generous pace. And, um, you know, Jamie managed to sort of settle mid-division. Mid and the horse was lovely and relaxed. And he was on the rail. And there was just a moment just coming before the home turn that it, Jamie just managed to angle off the rail. And I thought, well, look, if he's good enough from here, he's got, he'll have a clear run. And coming into the straight, I just thought, well, we've got this. But then you just saw without a fight looming behind under Mark Zara. And I, and you just sort of, you knew what was going to happen from there, really. But no, it was a great race, good effort. And hopefully he's got one more run down there um, in the Champions in a couple of weeks. So, um, but he's, he's turning out to be a good horse. You mentioned Mark Zara. We spoke to Mark on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's now won the most recent Melbourne Cup, the most recent Cox Plate, and the most recent Caulfield Cup. And he'll be back on the defending champ, Gold Trip, who was third the other day in the Cup itself. As far as the Crisfords are concerned, though, your own international reputation continues to grow and grow and grow. And it looks as though you're going to have uh, interesting runners at the Breeders' Cup as well. Is Carla's Way still still on course? Yes, she's on course. She's doing super well. Um for the filly and mare, I'm sorry, not the filly and mare, juvenile filly's turf. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, that's going to be a hot enough race. I think Aiden's going to take out um, that justified filly opera singer. But the way she won, run the, won the Rockfell and, you know, her form stacking up in the filly's mile, she's got to have every chance if she has a good draw. And, and she seemed to skip across the nice sound surface that day at Newmarket. Are you pretty confident that, that Santa Anita will, will hold no fears for her? Yeah, I think that's what we, you know, she she likes, she loves quick ground. She absolutely floats over it, and you know, a two-turn mile there should should suit her really well. And that's why we just felt Newmarket might just, you know, for the Phillies' mile, just might not play to her strengths. And in the end, it was soft ground anyway. But um, it's uh, yeah, she should just love it at Santa Anita. Okay, and are you going to take Algiers as well for the dirt mile? Yeah, yeah, he's 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 on course for the dirt mile. You know, he he ran at Woodbine. and it was all a bit of a disaster, to be honest. I mean, he was due to run it in um, at Aqu Aqu Aqueduct. That sort of got rained off. It was a sloppy track, and so we just decided not to run him. Um, we took him up to Woodbine, and it was a really slow pace. I mean, he he generally does more at home um, over over a mile at home when we do a good gallop at home. So I mean. He was caught in a, bo bo uh, in a bit of a pocket and Rab tried to angle him out and it was just all a bit too late. But at least he's had a run. He's come out a bit good. And yeah, all systems go for the dirt mile. Well, both Poptronic, the Group 1 winner of the Phillies and Mares race on Saturday, and Via Sestina, about whom we've talked plenty, have an entry in the Scepter Sessions, part of the Tattersall's breeding stock sale in December. Marketing Director Jimmy George joins me now. Ascot on Saturday was the sort of result that, that sales companies dream of, particularly in this Scepter session part of the, the sale, which is beginning to develop quite a bit of uh, awareness and momentum. Yes, thank you, Nick. It was, um, yeah, it was a great day for the Scepter sessions. They were introduced for the first time last year to, to that uh, sounds a bit of a cliche, but to, to huge international acclaim, and it really was the case with alcohol-free selling for 5.4 million and Saffron Beach selling for 3.6 million. So they got they got the Scepter Sessions off to a fantastic start, and we've got a fantastic cast of Group One Classic winning fillies in training to uh, follow up with the second 
Scepter Sessions this year at the Tamsil's December sales. So yeah, it's um, it's had an immediate impact and uh, very much caught the imagination of um, owners and breeders throughout the world. Okay, so you've got Via Sistina, Poptronic. Who would be some of the other headline names? Rogue Millennium, we were hearing from Tony Elliott. She's going there as well. Yeah, we've also, we've also got Cachet, obviously, who was the outstanding winner of the 1,000 guineas last year and second in the French 1,000 guineas. She's a top, top-class filly, and uh, it's very rare to have her a Guineas winner coming into the Tallisall December sales, still in training. And uh, I think all of us will remember her, her famous victory at Newmarket last May, uh, well, last May, May 2022. Great day for all of the high clear team. She was bought for 60,000 guineas at the Tallisall Craven Breeze up sale. So fitting that she uh, comes back through our ring um, as one of the highlights of the Scepter Sessions and the Tats December sales. She's joined by Lezu and Prosperous Voyage, both Group 1 winners owned by um, Andrew Rosen and Mark Chan. Lezu obviously won the Cheveley Park last year and Prosperous Voyage took a notable scalp when winning the Tallisall Falmouth Stakes, beating in Spiral. And uh, yeah, as, as you say, Poptronic upgraded herself spectacularly from a Group 2 winner, Lancashire Oaks winner to the winner of the Phillies and Mares, Group One at Ascot over the weekend, and uh, and for for a little international spice, there's a Group One winner called Vanici from South Africa. So, look, there's some spectacular fillies on offer, and uh, shouldn't also forget the likes of Relief Rally, who won the Lowther and Rogue Millennium, who you mentioned, um, and uh, a, a very very smart stakes winning Group One placed sprinter called Get Ahead, who um, not only is a fantastic sprinter in her own right, but is a half-sister to Chaldean from a fantastic Whitsbury, Park, Whitsbury Manor um, family. So, look, there's plenty for everybody to get stuck into. There is. I, I can't let you go without talking about the, the horses in training. So. We're up and running, and uh, I've already had the first 100,000 guinea lot. So, uh, look, always a very, very international sale, the Tallisall's Autumn Horses in Training sale. It's the largest sale of its type in the world with... Um, a little something for everyone so it doesn't matter flat national hunt domestic british irish overseas there really is um you know very much something for for every single requirement and uh, as you as you mentioned the uh, the consignment from alex elliott's imperium um team looks set to uh, attract plenty of attention there's a very strong contingent of australian buyers here this week again success driven the uh, Tallisall's Autumn Horse in Training graduates have done so well down there, including recent uh, Group 1 winner Just Fine flying the flag at the highest level, and Zaki, who's been a fantastic Group 1 performer for the last couple of years for Annabel Nisham down there. These are the sort of horses that uh, bring the Australian buyers here in abundance, and equally a very, very strong presence from the, throughout the Gulf region. So there really is an enormous amount on offer. It's a five-day sale this year, one of the larger catalogues we've had, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're just underway, but there's plenty out there to offer everybody. Okay, thanks to all my guests. Today, uh, on this Monday morning, Lydia is off to Windsor today for a tip. Uh, I am. Uh, the 3.55 at Windsor, which is a mile handicap uh, with very testing ground. A horse that's going to enjoy that is Astronom Astronomica. Um, she should get uh, the good pace that she enjoys, albeit that she has won here over the course and distance when there was no pace at all. She's been running really consistently all season long, and I think these conditions should see her at her best. She shaped last time when second at Leicester as though she was going to have a very profitable late autumn in the mud.
All right, Lydia, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back again tomorrow. That was Monday, the 23rd of October. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.